0: Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us bow before our maker. Let us pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all of our desires are known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, we pray you cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we would perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name now in this hour and from this place go forth to continue to magnify your name in our daily lives. This we pray through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our first hymn is number 394, This Day at Thy Creating Word. Remember that our Lord Jesus Christ sympathizes with us in our weakness. He, in, he entered into our life, and he is not just one who stands aloof, understanding and looking at our sin, but actually enters into the sinful world and into our sinful humanity to redeem us. So in every respect, he was tempted as we are, and yet he was without sin. Let us then with boldness approach the throne of grace, that we may receive, receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us confess our sin against God and against our neighbor with the prayer printed in the bulletin. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, we confess our manifold sins and wickedness, which we most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty, Provoking most justly your wrath and indignation against us. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous to us, the burden of them is intolerable. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Forgive us all that is past. And grant that we may ever hereafter serve and please you in newness of life, to the honor and glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. Hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn us? Only Jesus Christ. He is the one who is the judge of heaven and earth. And Christ died for us. He rose for us. He reigns in power for us. He intercedes for us. There is in Christ a new creation. There is a new life that we can have with God through Jesus Christ. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ are truly forgiven of all their sin. And this is the good news of the gospel. We say together, praise be to God. Holy and beloved people of God, in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord Jesus Christ says to us, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Does he not care even more for you? Here, Jesus in this text is talking about God's care for everything in our lives, that God is interested and actually cares for everything that we, uh, our whole existence. He's speaking about every part of our existence. Also, the Apostle Peter tells the church, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares about you. So we have these texts that talk about how God cares for us, and we can set our anxieties and our worries, we can bring them to our Father. Now, one of the teachings of the church One of the doctrines in the church is the providence of God. It's actually a chapter in our confession. We believe that God upholds all things in heaven and earth and that his fatherly hand is at work in everything. God is willfully and purposefully at work in everything that happens and all the things that come to us and all the things that leave us and all the changes of our lives and every detail of our history But this is not some kind of detached work of God, which is unfortunately sometimes the way we can treat providence. We can think of providence as more like fate. You guys can sit down if you want. (laughs) Um, So we sometimes think that that, uh, what God is doing is just sort of this detached work um, of just sort of maintaining everything. In Christ, we see that God orders our existence in relationship to the history of his salvation that we, must, um, that we must not believe that the events of our lives are unrelated to the history of God's salvation. In other words, his work of providence is not unrelated to his work of salvation. Every day things happen to you, and, they might be, and you might be tempted to separate them into two categories, God's general activity in the world and God's special activity in this world. In Christ, we see that he is the Lord of all of history, of everything that happens in the world, and he's the Lord of the history of our salvation. So he's the same Lord. It's one Lord who's doing the work of providence and the work of salvation. So in him, they're joined together. They're, they're, they're coming from the same purpose and the same, um, the same God who does these things. They are, they're not two different lords, one who's doing this, the providence, and the other who's doing the salvation. It's the same Lord. So we need to think of it that way, and, and this is perhaps helpful to think of it, that God works in this world by his right hand. So using just a metaphor, he works by his right hand. And who is at his right hand? Well, we confess that with the Apostles' Creed. Jesus Christ is at his right hand. Therefore, you are to believe that nothing happens to you or that you find yourself in some position that's not under the direct work of God, and that Jesus Christ is the one through whom God is exercising his care for this world and, and, uh, and, for, and bringing about our salvation. So Christ awakens our faith in the fatherly hand of God at work in every part of our existence so that even when we cannot see it, and most of the time it's hard to know, what is God doing in this situation? But we can be confident and we can trust that His hand is at work in that. Maybe not the way we think it is, but it is at work in whatever's going on, even if we can't see it. And so we can then trust that His work for us through Jesus Christ is for our good, for Him accomplishing His work of salvation with us. And it's not just some kind of general fate or, or um, uh, you know, some kind of um, what's the uh, uh, karma you know, some kind of karma that's going around. That's not at all what it is. It's the personal work of God who has created us and cares for us and saves us. So see the right hand of God in everything that happens in your life. Be aware that his hand is there at work with you, and then set your cares and worries and anxieties on him. For this is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say amen. Our hymn is number 473, Jesus Sinners Doth Receive. join in that ministry of prayer as we bring our prayers to our Lord Jesus Christ, to our Heavenly Father. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, you are great indeed. You are clothed in majesty and splendor. You are wrapped in light as with a garment. In the solitude of a mountain height, you revealed your glory in Jesus Christ even as he faced his crucifixion. We praise you for this glimpse of the mystery of our redemption when he was transfigured. You love the world so much that you sent your only son to dwell with us, and he who bears your very image, through whom all things have been created, who took our flesh and suffered death in order that that we might be made whole by his incarnation and by his death and resurrection. By his death, he conquered death, and by his rising, he gives eternal life. We praise you for your saving grace, and we pray that you would transform us by your spirit as we have been joined with Jesus Christ. Let your love shine in all that we do and say, so that the world may see the radiant light of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Guide and bless your church, O God. Lead us in the way of the cross. Sustain us in that same way of following Jesus. We give you thanks and pray, pray for all who labor in service to Christ, not only in this land but throughout the world. Especially, we remember and pray for our foreign missionaries, the missionaries of our church, Mike McCabe, Sam Fulta, Hiro Hakabor in Asia, and for their families and the churches they serve and the many Christians in those places. We thank you that they are safe in Ukraine and China. But we do also pray for the people in Ukraine and the churches there, as well as the people in Israel and Palestine, that you would keep the powers of violence and destruction from consuming those nations and your church. Here are our prayers for our missionaries in these dangerous spots in the world. Bless all who serve you in public office. We pray you would guide Joe Biden according to your purposes, our senators, our congressmen and women. You would guide, direct, and govern the affairs of this world to your appointed end. And we pray for the people of Mexico and the Uyghur people in China who are being oppressed, the people in Syria and Afghanistan, Myanmar. We pray for just governments in these places in peace here are prayers for those who lead us and for the people suffering under bad leadership we pray for our nation for our country to know the good order you have established for your creation and that we would uphold what is right in marriage for human life respect for other people as human beings that we would know and this society would know what it means to be human. We do pray for those who are in the jail right now, for Greg and Anthony, for Warren and Steve and the other inmates who came to our study and worship service last week. Pray that you would help them to be encouraged as they hear the gospel, that they would believe it, trust in Christ, that you would give them fair sentences, um, and time that they must serve, and that they would be joined with your church, your people, when they leave the prison. Remember and preserve your church, those whom you have called and to whom you have pledged yourself in love in Jesus Christ. We especially remember and pray for Jeff DeBoer and Redeemer Church in Ada, Michigan. Here are our prayers for your church in this presbytery. And finally, our Father, hear us as we pray for all who suffer, for those who are anxious, for those with work-related needs, for those who are sick, for those who grieve, especially we name to you Jeff and Fawn, Eduardo, for Leah and Frida, for Tammy and her family, for our friends Becky and Angie, Kay, Tom, Phil, Bob, Tammy's friend Kara, Candace's mother, Barbara, for Jane and Karen, and others we name to you in silence. (laughs) Grant them good medical care, heal them, give them a firm faith in Jesus Christ, keep them in your grace even when they no longer remember, and prepare us all for our impending death. Hear us now through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us when we pray to say,
1: And now we pray a prayer of illumination, trusting that God will help us to receive his word as it's read and preached. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we look to you, we call out to you to fill our souls with light. That by the work of your spirit, you would help us, enable us to hear to believe, and then by your power to be transformed according to your word, as we pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our reading begins in the book of Leviticus. Chapter, 20, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 25, beginning in verse 47. <clears throat> if a stranger or, or sojourner with you becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner with you or to a member of the stranger's clan... Then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. One of his brothers may redeem him. Or his uncle or his cousin may redeem him. Or a close relative from his clan may redeem him. Or if he grows rich, he may redeem himself. He shall calculate with his buyer from the year when he sold himself to him until the year of Jubilee. And the price of his sale shall vary with the number of years. The time he was with his owner shall be rated as the time of a hired servant. If there are still many years left, he shall pay proportionately for his redemption, some of his sale price. If there remains but a few years until the year of Jubilee, he shall calculate and pay for his redemption in proportion to the years of his service. He shall treat him as a servant hired year by year, He shall not rule ruthlessly over him in your sight. And if he is not redeemed by these means, then he and his children with him shall be released in the year of Jubilee. For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Our Psalter response is printed in the bulletin. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For it's for it's love endures forever. Let Israel say,
2: His steadfast love endures forever.
1: Let the house of Aaron say,
2: His steadfast love endures forever.
1: Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The
2: Lord answered me <clears> and set me free.
1: The Lord is on my side. I will not fear.
2: What can man do to me?
1: The Lord is on my side as my helper.
2: I shall look in triumph on those who hate me.
1: It is better to take refuge in the Lord
2: than than to trust in man.
1: It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to
0: trust in
1: princes. Our epistle reading is in Philippians. chapter 4 10 through 23 I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received you have revived your concern for me you were indeed concerned for me but you had no opportunity not that i am speaking of being in need for i have learned in whatever situation i am to be content i know how to be brought low Finally, our Gospel reading in Matthew chapter 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also... My Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The Word of the Lord.
0: If someone gives you something or does something for you, then you owe them something in return, right? That's how it works. On a Friday evening in July a few years ago, I heard a knock at my door, and I went to see who it was, and there standing on my porch was a young, energetic man. He handed me a brand-new roll of paper towels and quickly began to speak to me. He asked if I would be willing to watch a little demonstration, and I had a sense of obligation because he had done something for me, and before I could think of it, I agreed. It was almost reflex. He turned around and waved to a van that was sitting in the street and out popped a fellow who went to the back of the van and pulled out a large box. The van drove on down the street and the man struggled up to my house with the box. Sweat was dripping down his face. His clothes were wrinkled his, uh, and the, his clothes were twisted around his body. He was very disheveled. I allowed him to enter my living room and I asked him what was in the box. A super deluxe vacuum cleaner, he said. And he opened the box and carefully began to remove the contents. And soon there were pieces of vacuum cleaner all over the floor. Then in front of my eyes, he assembled the shiny silver machine. And when he finished, it looked like a Swiss army knife for the floor. It had every kind of attachment you can think of. Thus commenced his demonstration, and it all started because somebody handed me a roll of paper towels, and I took it. Ingrained in our relationships of giving and receiving is indebtedness. If someone gives you something, then there's an expectation that you owe them. We interact this way every day when we go to a store to buy merchandise. You go to the dairy case, for example, and you pick out a gallon of milk, and then you go to the cashier and pay for it. It's not surprising, therefore, that this kind of economic giving and receiving is firmly embedded in our social as well as our economic relationships. You owe me is the demand of this giving and receiving. You can hear it in the shopping lines as well as in conversation between, for example, a mother and a child and her child. You owe me, or words to that effect. Naturally, we can also find indebtedness in the church, Jesus, however, upends this social giving and receiving indebtedness, and he makes for a new kind of relationship with each other. Now, Paul's relationship with the church in Philippi could very easily be interpreted as a payment debt relationship. When the apostle came to Philippi, we can read about it in Acts, he proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ to the people. He proclaimed the way of salvation. In the name of Jesus Christ, he broke the power of demons and he shook the social captivity of that city. The first time Paul entered the city, he met a slave girl. So the very first time he entered in to the city, he met this slave girl who had a spirit of divination, it says in the scripture. And she harassed Paul and Silas as they walked through Philippi. Can you imagine walking through this, this city and this person's dogging you and just saying things and trying to expose you? Paul turned and rebuked the spirit in the girl. He said, I charge you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and out it came. The spirit departed this girl. When the gospel came to town by way of the apostle Paul, Jesus saved people like the little girl and some women who were working down by the river, Lydia and some other women who were, were down there. The Philippine uh, Philippian jailer also turned to Jesus Christ when he heard the gospel. It's another story when Paul was in Philippi He was imprisoned, and um, the jailer uh, was converted uh, through a series of, uh, it's a great story there. With all of these conversions to Jesus Christ, a new community of Christ's people formed in that city. A church began in that city. The apostle preached the good news of Jesus Christ, and the new life of God began for these people. A life where they were reconciled to God a life where they were forgiven of their sins, a life where they belonged to the new community of Christ in this world. It's the church, the church where the peace of God, which passes all understanding, kept their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, the place of God's grace where they could confidently trust God and he cared for them This was a community where they could be full of joy, having the same attitude of love and concern for others, which was theirs in Jesus Christ. It was a community that was headed towards a glorious end in Jesus Christ, and they were confidently striving forward to that end by the grace of God. What was clear was that they had received the beautiful, wonderful treasure of the gospel by way of Paul's preaching, and so they were indebted to Paul. He was their beloved apostle. They wanted to give back to him. He had done so much for them. Paul says in verse 15 of our scripture lesson, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Now, what do you give in return for hearing the gospel? In our culture, hearing the gospels probably is not that important. It's, it's considered just religious superstition or, or just some personal experience kind of a thing. And so there's not much interest in giving back for that. But if you've heard the gospel and you know who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us and how we're saved and reconciled to God, then it's, it's this, the most treasured thing that you've ever heard or received. And when the Philippians heard that Paul was in jail, they saw an opportunity to give something back. Paul's writing Philippians from... Uh, when he was in jail um, somewhere else. When he, he, that's when he wrote the letter. And so when they heard that he was in jail, they saw this opportunity to give something back to Paul. Here's, a, here's something we can do to someone who's given us so much or from whom we've received so much. So full of expectation um, that they collected their money and they sent a gift with Epaphroditus to Paul. And Paul mentions that in his letter. However, the news came back that Epaphroditus took ill and that they they could not meet all of Paul's needs. Epaphroditus on his journey going to Paul had taken ill and and the money hadn't necessarily arrived. At least it appears it didn't arrive in a timely way. And there were other needs that Paul had. So in the world of payment and debt, they came up short. They wanted to give something back, but they came up short. And according to the general idea of an indebtedness, there was more that they could, they could do. They still owed Paul. Caught up in the turbulence of indebted relationships, it drags heavily upon us. Perhaps you've experienced that weight of feeling like you owe somebody something or somebody else, uh, somebody putting a demand on you that you do owe them, and you feel the weight of that. There are strings attached to giving, and we attach them to each other. Our gifts and responses to those who have cared for us come up short, and so then there's still that, that sense of you owe me. The power of you owe me drives us apart from each other. Our fellowship in Christ, our partnership in the gospel can become confused and weakened. Well, the economy of indebtedness seems unending if you think about it. When would that ever stop? When would we not be indebted to somebody With all the wildly changing circumstances in our lives, what can you do about that? When circumstances change, there come all those times when we need help from someone or we need help from some organization that's run by people, and all of a sudden we don't have enough money, the house we are in may be foreclosed, our job is cut short, the stock market drops precipitously, our friends move away, the people we counted on to take care of us become incapacitated, Old age creeps on us, and soon death is staring us in the face. And among all those changes, it's so easy to become indebted to other people. In the economy of indebtedness, if you accept help from from uh, help, if you accept help, then you owe someone something. So what do you do? Well, one answer has been self sufficiency. So rephrasing the words of scripture that we heard this morning, we could put it this way. I know how to be abased and I know how to, be, how to abound in any all circumstances. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. I can do all things in me. And I hope you picked up what's been left out. But that's one way of putting it. I can do all things in me. And the ancient philosophers that it had preexisted even Paul, but were around in the days of Paul, taught their followers, some of them taught their followers, to rely on their own inner resources. The Stoics said, no man is free who is not master of himself. And this philosophy has lasted through the centuries. Virginia Woolf, the 20th century uh, writer, picked up on the Stoic philosophy and said, to enjoy freedom, we have to control ourselves. The belief is that we must be detached from what we cannot control. It fueled the idea, this fueled the idea that we must not depend on anyone else, but depend on ourselves. Reach down into yourself for the fortitude and the power that you need, whatever the circumstance in life. For example, and three-year-olds are great at this. (laughs) They're discovering that they want to do this. um, But the three-year-old who tells his mother... And it says confidently, I can do it myself. You've ever heard them say that? Well, they don't realize it, but they're expressing that basic philosophy of Stoicism. Tell tell the next three-year-old you hear, hey, you're a Stoic. They'll be be, uh, befuddled by you. But anyway, when the little three-year-old, the child says that, the philosophers would clap their hands. This philosophy of life is not far removed from us. Amidst the changing circumstances of life, reach down into yourself and find the strength you need for being able to control what you can control. And the only thing that you can control is yourself. So find that inner power, that inner strength, and and control those things. And when you do that, you'll detach yourself from all those other things that put demands on you and try to control you and put you in debt. Therefore, relax and free your mind of your troubles. Breathe out and breathe in, breathe out, breathe in. Focus on your inner peace. Let the noise and confusion of the world around you disappear and find the strength in yourself. And yet, when I reach down deep within myself, I come up short. While I may try to push aside all the guilt and the weakness and the fear and the anxiety that I find within myself, or I tell myself they're figments of my imagination or they're, they're things that other people are trying to put on me, they still pop up. Pushing them aside does not make them go away. No matter how much inner strength and control that I try to exercise, I cannot remove my debt to others. And me-sufficiency comes up short because detaching ourselves from this world means detaching ourselves from other people. Really, you have to live a life of detachment from other people if you're going to do this. Me self-sufficiency is detached. It's like a kite flying around in the sky with no, with no string on it. It's just broken free, trying to fly around, blowing about in the sky. If we are, were able to be detached from others, then that would mean that we would have nothing to give either. That's the problem. If you detach yourself from others, yeah, you can try to not let them have control and be indebted to them, but then you aren't going to be able to give them either, uh, give anything to them as well. There is no giving and receiving when we're reaching down inside ourselves trying to be self sufficient. That's the basic idea of self sufficiency. But what we have within ourselves is not sufficient, it's insufficient. So those who try to rely on themselves can become detached from relationships with others. They can lack close friends. They can become distant in their families. Perhaps you know people like that. It also emphasizes individualism. It can undervalue the significance of community and collective well-being, that our well-being is tied to others and that we collectively can have more well-being than just by ourselves. So here's here's the dilemma. Do we we Do we try to go with that, or are we indebted? Are we indebted to others and have this kind of giving and and indebtedness sort of relationship? Or do we just depend on self-sufficiency and me-sufficiency? Well, that's not the the only choice. It's not an either-or. It's not be in debt or be self-sufficient. The good news of Jesus Christ is even more wonderful than we ever realized. We hear the good news of Jesus Christ, and, and we need to hear how far it goes in our relationships and in this life. It sets us free from relationships of you owe me. It sets us free from that, of that sort of expectation and demand. Our text this morning shows this to us. Paul waits until the very end of the letter, this section that we've heard read this morning, to thank the Philippians for their gift. And what's interesting about that is he's already had, it was sort of a standard thing, but he had a thanksgiving section at the beginning of this letter. And he could have so easily inserted this right at that point. He could have said, and thank you for the gift. He could have put it at the beginning of the letter. And even today, when you receive something from someone, don't you thank them right away, and then you go on and talk about your life or whatever's going on. You tend to thank them first. Paul could have reinforced that the Philippian Christians were in a relationship of indebtedness. He could have emphasized that that uh, he had done a lot for them, and they had given him a gift. And so there was this relationship of, you owe me. And you paid, you you gave a gift, and that goes towards that debt. But the question is, do they still owe him more because of such a wonderful gift they'd received with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or maybe now he owed them, because that's the way this goes, back and forth. I owed you, you owed me, and you did something for me, now I owe you again. And so you've got this continuing situation relationship of giving and receiving. Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't put his thanks for the gift at the beginning of the letter. He doesn't try to start off with this sort of demand uh, of owing, that they owe him, or that they were paying a debt. He waits until the end of the letter to thank them after writing to them about Jesus Christ. Don't forget that in that letter, in the center, is that wonderful hymn about Jesus Christ who though his God becomes man and becomes a servant for our salvation. Their relationship of giving and receiving is to reflect the gospel. Jesus Christ, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. This Jesus Christ did something... That we can never pay back. Ever. The gospel is not about a a, it's not about a relationship where we owe and somehow have to pay back God for what he's done for us. Jesus Christ breaks the economy of indebtedness in which we must pay back what was done for us. He he breaks that. So consequently, Paul told the church that he relinquished all his former privileges and accomplishments. They don't matter in terms of debt and payment and that kind of thing. There was no way the church could pay back Jesus Christ, but also, Paul says, they didn't owe him. They didn't owe him. The gospel converts the gift of indebtedness into sacrifice to God. There's a conversion in our text. Verse 18, Paul calls the flipping gift not not a payment for a debt, but a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. They were not indebted to Paul, and Paul was not indebted to the church for its gift to him. He appreciated the gift, he was very thankful for it, but they didn't owe him, and he didn't owe them because of their gift. So Jesus Christ shakes up the whole payment-debt relationship in the church. Here is the good news of Jesus Christ. Our scripture reading sets before us the secret of the gospel, it even calls it that. In Paul's words, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content." I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. The circumstances of Paul's life had changed dramatically over the years. At one time, he was a very, very privileged Jew, but then he became a Christian, there were times he enjoyed the love and honor of the Christian community. There were other times Paul was despised, hated, and beaten by his opponents. In one place he stayed in a lovely villa with excuse me, plenty of food. In some other place he found himself in a rough prison, chained to the wall without anything to eat. No matter what, Paul had learned how to be sufficient. With all the changing circumstances in his life in a way that was very different from the Stoics, Paul is not talking about finding it in himself reaching down inside and finding that strength to be sufficient and and not to be indebted to any other people. He had learned how to be sufficient when he was brought low to the ground. He had learned how to be sufficient with excess of material comforts. He had learned how to be sufficient in poverty. He had learned how to be sufficient when all was going well. He learned how to live with suffering, how to live with comfort. He had also learned how to be sufficient in his relationships, like with the Philippian church. Because Paul relied on Jesus Christ, he didn't have to worry about being indebted to others when he received a gift. He had stopped trying to reach down inside himself for strength. When he was in need, he prayed to Jesus Christ. He asked for whatever he needed, and then he trusted that that what he received was enough. When he had plenty, he gave thanks in the name of Jesus Christ, remembering that all good things come from our Father in heaven. And he shared with those around him because Jesus Christ had given to him. So when he suffered, he praised God because he relied on Christ who suffered and died and was raised in victory over death and sin in this world. So throughout the changing situations and throughout his life, Paul had learned the secret of facing all of that. And it was through faith in Jesus Christ. It was trusting Jesus Christ. And this had not come easily. Now, you know, I can rattle it off like this up here, but it had not come easily. Paul had to learn this through all the changing circumstances in his life. It's one thing to talk about. It's one thing to say. It's one thing to memorize this verse or to put it up on our walls in our house. It's another thing to have to live through it in your life. And if you've never had to live with a lack in your life, then you have to learn how to be sufficient with God when when the lack comes. Same thing for everything else. We must learn it. Sufficiency in Christ must be learned in the living of life, not outside of it. So we must learn sufficiency in Christ in good health and bad and all of your health. I hope it's good. I pray every week. I pray that God bless you with good health. But it won't always be good because we live in a world where there's sickness and, and we age and all of those problems. Accidents happen. And we'll have to learn how to be sufficient, how Christ is sufficient, how to be sufficient in Christ when we're in good health and bad, when we're in wealth and poverty, when we're single or married, when we're in life and death. And you must learn it in your relationships with each other, and not just here in the church, but with other people as well. You must learn how to be sufficient in Christ in your relationships. Jesus Christ has changed the economy of our relationships here in the church. In Christ, our giving becomes an offering to God, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. We give to each other, but it's really given to God. When we, Whatever we do, whatever we give to each other, we're actually giving it to God because we are his people, we're his servants. So we give to each other, but we are giving to God. The financial contributions we make, we're giving those to God. Cleaning the church rooms, fixing the light, cleaning someone's house, helping someone move, teaching, so on. All these things that we do in relationship to each other are, first of all, given to God. We do them for each other, but we're not doing them so that the other person owes us or so that we're indebted or they're indebted to us. We do it for each other as an offering to God, and an offering to God is not something to be returned it's not, it doesn't obligate God to do something for us. That is the nature of a lot of pagan religions, the old religions, and maybe the new ones, too. You do something for God, and then he'll, he'll give you, a, you know, a healthy life. He'll uh, you know, give you kids. He'll give you uh, more money. He'll give you, you know, whatever you need. Um, but what we do, an offering to God, is not something that obligates God. It's not a way to control other people. It's an offering of thanksgiving. God has saved us in Jesus Christ, and now everything we do is an offering back to him. It's not a payment, pay and receive kind of relationship. It's an offering. So we are uh, not repaying him, we're giving thanks. Our giving to each other is not a debt to be collected. Christ frees us from holding each other in debt. We can give freely now. We don't need to hold people in debt because we rely on Jesus Christ. And God will supply every need of ours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. Let us take it to heart and believe it and ask for God's grace to live it. Let us pray. Almighty and merciful God, it is only by the gift of your son that your faithful people offer you true and laudable service increase in us the fruit of good works, nourish us with all goodness. In this we pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please stand and let us confess our faith with the creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. Our hymn as we come to the Lord's table is number 528, My Faith Looks Up to Thee. Lord's Table, where we are met and nourished by the risen Lord, and where we have true fellowship with one another as co-members of his one body, the church. Remember the words of institution, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it, he gave it to his disciples, this is before he was crucified, and he said, take, eat, this is my body, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out from many ...for the forgiveness of sins. We welcome to this table all who have been baptized, who have publicly professed their faith in Jesus Christ... ...and belong to a Christian church, or as the language we use, are communicant members in good standing of a Christian church. You are to come to this table with a true faith in Jesus Christ, a sorrow for and willingness to turn from sin... ...and a determination and reliance upon God's grace to lead a godly life in peace with and love towards your brothers and sisters in Christ... Christian people, today we have been reminded that Jesus Christ has overturned our expectations of indebtedness. This day we have confessed our sin, we've received the assurance of God's forgiveness, we've heard his call to live in love, to not be anxious, but to pray and bring our concerns to him. As you come to the supper, I exhort you to remember the grace that is yours in him. And strengthened by the sacrament, the means of grace, God working and using the sacrament to strengthen us and feed us so that we can faithfully follow Christ. But as we come to the sacrament, we are strengthened to do things for others as an offering to God. And come to this meal with joy. This is the great meal of, of, uh, that we meet with our Lord and Savior and where we rejoice in his sacrifice on our behalf. We're strengthened by his gifts we find here the grace we need to follow where he leads. Join with me in giving thanks to God for our new life in Christ and the salvation that he has won for us. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give thanks and grace. You, indeed, are worthy of our thanks and praise, O Lord God Almighty, for by the breath of your mouth you have spoken your word and all things came into being. You fashioned us in your image, you placed us in the garden of your blessing. And though we chose the path of rebellion along with all of humanity, you would not abandon your own. And again and again you drew your people into your covenant of grace. You gave your people the law, you taught us by your prophets to look for your reign of justice and mercy and peace. And as we watch for the signs of your kingdom here on earth, as it is broken into this world through Jesus Christ, we sing and and we hear the song of the angels in heaven and we join in their praise, saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. Lord God, you are the most holy one, you are enthroned in splendor and light, and yet in the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ, you revealed the power of your grace, made perfect in our human weakness. Embracing our humanity, Jesus showed us the way of salvation, he accomplished our salvation, and he loved us to the end by giving himself to death for us. Dying for his own, he set us free from the bonds of sin, that we might rise and reign with him in glory. And so as we come to this table, we do confess that faith that your church has confessed from the very beginning. Very simply put, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Therefore, we proclaim the death that he suffered on the cross. We celebrate his resurrection, his bursting from the tomb. We rejoice that he reigns at your right hand on high, and we long for his coming in glory. As we recall the one perfect sacrifice of our redemption, O Father, by your Holy Spirit, May the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup be for us a participation in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Form us into the likeness of Christ. Make us a perfect offering in your sight. Look with favor on your people, and in your mercy hear the cry of our hearts. Bless the earth, O Lord, heal the sick. Let the oppressed go free, and fill your church with power from on high. Gather your people from the ends of the earth to feast with all your holy people. Table in your kingdom, where the new creation is brought to perfect perfection in Jesus Christ our Lord, by whom and with whom and in whom, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory be yours, Almighty Father, forever and ever. And together we say, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread and, after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are they who take refuge in Him. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup, and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son, Jesus Christ, you brought us home to you. Dying and living, he bore our sin, he gave us your grace, he opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup show others the true vine. We whom the Spirit lights, may we give light to the world, the light of the gospel. Keep us firm in the hope that you have set before us so that we and all your children shall be free and the whole earth will live to praise your name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our final hymn is number 95, Though Troubles Assail Us.
3: Please be seated and good morning to you all. Um, uh, I know we can all smell the uh, deliciousness wafting through here, so we'll try to keep the announcements relatively brief. Um, first of all, the um, as you recall, a few years ago we moved to um, instead of directly electing trustees at the congregational meeting, uh, we now the trustees are now chosen basically by the elected um, uh, elders and deacons, the session and the deacons uh, for that year. So we, uh, we did that yesterday. Um, so the trustees for the upcoming year are going to be uh, Mr. Bartoski and Mr. Hannum and myself. So if you have any issues uh, or concerns or suggestions concerning uh, the building, the facilities, the grounds, um, those, uh, those guys will be the trustees for this year and feel free to um, let them know. Um, I believe Pastor uh, led at the Oakland County Jail the other night, so we'll get the update on that.
0: So <coughs> Friday night one Friday night a month, we go up to lead a worship service at the Oakland County Jail. And usually there are two services back to back. So the first service was just one person. Um, not going to say much about him, but we, we just sat and talked because uh, well, he's a pastor. And uh, it's a long story about how he ended up in jail, but um, he actually doesn't live very far from here. But we talked brother to brother, and uh, he he definitely understands the gospel and and, uh, and the scripture. So it was it was actually a, an encouraging good good discussion, I think, for both of us. Um, but the second group had um, a number of people, and there's one guy, and there's been he's come three times. The three times I've led it, he showed up, and he's always quiet. He sits over on the side, and at the very end of this, after we we're done with the service, I just say, are there any questions about Christian things you want to talk about, because I'm not very good at talking about anything else. And um, he he never says anything. This time, he asked a question. He said, does God uh, p- punish punish other people for things we've done? And one of the things that I've learned, and I didn't do this time, is always ask, <clears throat> now, Tell me why you're asking that. It would have been good if I'd started with that. But anyway, I gave an answer, and then he he followed it up and said, well, he said, I used to make fun of disabled people um, when I was younger. And then, and then he had a son who was born disabled. So he connected that and thought that it's because he made fun of disabled people that his son was born disabled. So, anyway, I responded to that. Now I understood where he was coming from, and I could talk to him. But see, that's the kind of thing where um, we bring the gospel to people. And you think about the weight of that. He's an older man, he's carried that his whole life. So, <clears throat> it was a great moment when he could hear the gospel. Are related to that and if you want to know how i answered you can talk to me later but um but it, it was it was kind of great to see how god opened that up so we had that uh meeting that service and that uh, continues to go on and we prayed for some of their names in the worship service so keep praying for
3: what we do there yeah thank you um, as you know, we are having our uh, our fellowship meal after uh, service today, so for those of you who are uh, not, uh, who are visiting with us this morning, or, or perhaps infrequent de- guests, I don't believe we've ever once run out of food, so please, please join us. Um, we'll uh, have a few minutes to get everything ready, and then grab a plate and find a spot, and, uh, and let us uh, get to know you, and... Um, Uh, Finally, not to make it a habit of moving the fellowship meal, but in March we're also going to move the fellowship meal to the second um, Sunday of the month. Uh, The reason for that is that uh, one of our missionaries, Mike McCabe, um, is back in the United States from China, and uh, the denomination reached out and said he could come on the first Saturday of March and present, I'm sorry, Sunday rather. Um, and present during their, our Christian Education Hour if we were interested, and so the session voted to do that. So um, the first Sunday of March, our Christian, we will have Christian Education, but it will be a presentation from uh, Mike McCabe on his uh, on the work that we're we are participating in from afar in China, um, and that'll be for all classes, all ages. I think there's pictures and everything. So um, from our, our oldest to youngest members, you're invited to that, and then we will um, have our fellowship meal on the second Sunday of March. Is there anything else from the floor, Mrs. Collins? I, I just have a question. I'm not all uh, happy. Um, the prison ministry, which meets on the second and <clears throat>
1: fourth? Probably. Yeah, so
3: what it, the way it is normally, um, so yes, we, we are uh, slated for the second and fourth uh, Fridays. In general, the way that has fallen out in practicality is that uh, Jeff and or I cover the the first of those two, and then Adam Estella and Terry Benjamin cover the second of those two, which is technically assigned to us. Um, so, But we also have, have filled in for each other when we can't be around, so it's under the uh, Uh, Providence OPC is going into the jail twice. A, uh, technically, that's the that's the label on this sca- on the calendar, but there are many other. It's actually really. Um, I, I will say from my own experience too. Like there's a lot. It's very encouraging. There are a lot of churches involved with this. There are um, services. There's multiple services every Friday. There's Bible studies throughout the week. Um, so there's there's a lot of activity, and we are uh, grateful that God has let us play a, a role in that. So. If there is nothing else from the floor, um, we'll go ahead and get set up. Yes, Miss, Miss B. I'm think I remember most of your names mm-hmm. two and a half
2: years. And I was asked to greet you from Dennis and also from Bill and Vicky Church. It mm-hmm. turns out Bill is our elder there in Idaho. So
3: mm-hmm. nice to you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you uh, watching at home, uh, Sharon Bratcher is back to, longtime member, is back to visit today and uh, extends greetings from Dennis and from the churches uh, from Idaho. Fantastic. If you give us a few minutes to set up, we can uh, enjoy a meal together. <laughs>